to focus on your mindset and your personal growth. Most of real estate investing, it's transactional. That's easy. I think the hard part is being able to develop yourself into a better human being. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Jason Pero, how you doing, Jason? Doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Well, great. My pleasure. A little bit about Jason. He has been investing in real estate since 2001. He left his day job in 2012. He currently owns nearly 700 rental units and recently completed his first syndicated deal. He's president of the local RIA Apartment Association, representing over 1,600 members based in Erie, Pennsylvania. So with that being said, Jason, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So as Joe said, I've been investing in real estate since 2001. My wife and I did it the old-fashioned way for the first 12 or 15 years. We saved our hard-earned money and just pumped it into buying real estate, saved up for down payments, traditional bank financing. Got up to about 300 units when I left a medical device sales job in 2012 to focus on running our real estate portfolio on our own. And at that time, started taking on private investors, doing some private money, And that sort of led into where we're at now, which is syndicating deals and looking at much larger projects. So completed an 86-unit syndication this fall, working on a 205-unit currently, and just having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I hear you right. You were in medical device sales? Correct. Yeah. So you you had 300 units. You're buying properties. You and your wife were buying properties, as you said, the traditional way. And you had a full-time job. What were your coworkers saying about your investing approach? Well, it was interesting because I think that some coworkers probably thought I was crazy. Why would you want to leave a high-paying W-2 job to go mess around with rental properties? 
but I had a lot of coworkers that were following similar paths. So had met different guys in Nashville, Tennessee, or Cincinnati, Ohio, or other markets that had bought rental properties as well. And it was really hard to leave that comfort of a day job. But when I saw other guys do it with maybe much less backing, kind of gave me the confidence that I was ready to jump at the time. And what's interesting, though, is some of the guys I still keep in touch with from when I left seven or eight years ago, um, they're still kind of miserable at their day job and not really moving forward in life. Right. Okay. So 300 units. We'll get into the syndication stuff, but I just want to be clear on this. So 300 units. How many units was the largest property? So at that time, the largest property was about 30 units. So I had purchased some properties that were either in the same neighborhood or very close to each other side by side, but the largest individual property at the time was 30 units. Okay. And then were the majority of them single families? No, the majority ranged from, I had a handful of 25 to 30 units, a handful of 10 to 15 unit size properties. And then a bunch of duplexes, okay. <laughs> 50 or 80 duplexes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. singles, yeah. Okay. So you were buying 10 to 15, 25 to 30, and then you had a bunch of duplexes. So how did it progress when you started in terms of unit size? So our first deal was a duplex that we purchased for 32000 in your EPA. And I, I used the first $3,500 I saved up to buy that property. And at the time, the cash flow thing had paid for my student loan payment. And I was happy. I thought that was the greatest thing ever. And then the next year we saved up, purchased a duplex, purchased a four unit right before we got married and then kept saving our money. The next year we bought a four unit and a seven unit and then kept going along that path. And then in 2005, I met a gentleman who became a mentor of mine in the business, but he had 56 units multiple locations, but there was a couple eight units in there. There was a 16 unit and just some various size properties. And he said, Hey, look, I've got this group of properties. I'll sell it to you for 1.1 million and I'll hold the paper, but you have to come up with 10% down. So I borrowed against my 401k, borrowed against savings, cashed in some savings, took out some lines of credit, did all these things you probably shouldn't do that financial planners tell you not to do. But did it and it was successful. And that kind of launched us from this world of 23 yeah. rental units up to 79 rental units. Mm-hmm. And then over the next couple of years- let's, pa- let's pause right there just real quick. So when you were borrowing against the 401k lines of credit, you're married at the time. So how's that conversation sound between you and your wife? Well, that was probably the best sale or the best thing I ever did was <laughs> early on when my wife and I were dating and we bought our first rental properties and I sold her this idea that, hey, you know, we could be rich someday and we keep buying rental properties and we could work for ourselves. And you're in your early 20s and I'm happy I kind of went down that path, but it seemed to make sense that, hey, by the time we're 30 or 40, we can retire. We can have these rental properties paying for our lifestyle. And we had much smaller goals at the time, but she bought into my dream. I had this passion and excitement and, and idea about what this life would look like. And she bought into it and she supported me with it. And she participated in it as well. So as far as looking for properties, those first few years, we did all the work ourselves. I am not handy whatsoever. Still, I'm not handy. And we would go in and try and fix the vacant units up and we would try and pretend like we knew how to fix a leaky faucet and things like that. (laughs) But she was ultimately my biggest cheerleader, still is, and just bought into the dream. And she kind of works in the background, but still helps me run all the high level 
pieces of our business. And I think that was kind of a really important key, maybe for your listeners, is that if you are married or in a relationship, having a spouse that's supportive, at least see eye to eye with you on, on some of these things is really important because they're going to have your back when things are good, but they, you want to make sure they have your back when things maybe are a little challenging too. Mm-hmm. So there was no pushback on borrowing against 401k or getting lines of credit during that time? No, we were young. And I think this was before we had kids, early mid twenties. And she said, gosh, if you, know, if, <laughs> if you really feel strongly about this, I've got you, we've got this. And so the idea was that if we borrowed against the 401k, that the cash flow from the investment was going to be able to pay that back. And at the same token, you know, we both had really good W-2 jobs that we still had enough cash flow to be able to pay back that 401k. It wasn't as if we were doing that as a desperate move. It, it was an idea that made a heck of a lot of sense at the time that, hey, if I have to borrow $50,000, but this property cash flows 50000 a year, I'm going to be able to pay this back in a year. So it just seemed to make sense. Meeting your mentor was an important part of the journey. How'd you meet the mentor? Our initial meeting, he had put an ad in the local newspaper and the ad said, local investor retiring, up to 128 units, owner financing available, call this number. So I called the guy, had a meeting with him on a, I don't know, it was probably an early Saturday morning or something like that. And we just sort of hit it off. I think he saw something in me that reminded him of his younger self. I kind of grew up without a lot of means and, and that type of thing. And so I was really impressed with this guy. I said, oh my gosh, he left a great day job to go and do this real estate thing. And he seemed to be living a really good life. We did this real estate deal, but we ended up meeting every few weeks or at least once a month for coffee and just sort of talking the business and becoming friends. And ultimately I bought out the rest of his portfolio and, and really retired. How him. More, so, so how many more units was that? 72. 72. So a 56 plus another 72. Yep. Got it. And that makes up a big old chunk of the 300. Uh, how did you buy the 72? So what was interesting is actually some of the pieces of what I originally purchased from him, I had ended up selling to a local company that their name is Erie Insurance. They're a big employer here. They provide home life and auto and all that kind of stuff. They had approached me about a property that they needed to buy and tear down so they could complete construction of a parking garage, but they didn't want to pay me any more than I had paid for the property. I said, well, I'm not going to do that. There's a dilemma. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm not going to give up this cash flow, but I had a handful of other properties near their corporate headquarters that they were willing to pay quite a bit of a premium on and it made it worth my while. I mean, it wasn't life-changing money, but it was enough that would get my attention. So what I did is I sold those properties and 1031 exchanged into this 72-unit deal. But the 72-unit deal, it was broken up into three properties. So there was a 16-unit, a 26-unit, and a 30-unit that comprised that deal. And the 30 units were these really nice luxury townhomes, really high price per door, like 100 grand per door. And I just could not wrap my head around those numbers at the time. And the guy's name was Dick. And Dick had said to me, look, I'll hold the paper 100%, 5% fixed for 25 years on the apartment buildings in the city. But you have to buy these townhomes that were in a kind of a little suburb outside of Erie and cash me out of those. And that's what we did. And it took a lot of convincing on my end, but it was the, probably the best deal I ever did in my life, just because it was able to catapult me into working for myself, but also get me into a higher and better class of property as well. Oh, absolutely. So at that point, did that put you at the 200, 250 mark? That 72 was the deal that was the catalyst for me to leave my day job. So I had actually quit my day job about a month and a half before the deal was closing. 
And I just kind of wanted to take a little bit of a break and wrap my head around what my new life was going to look like after quitting that day job. So it was maybe a month and a half, maybe two months in between the job and, and then closing that deal. Using your best guess, where would you be today if you hadn't called on the newspaper ad? Boy, I don't know. I would say I'd, I'd probably be at 40 or 50 units, maybe 100 if I was lucky. I think part of responding to that ad, and at the same time, I really bought into this idea of personal development and got turned on to Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and all of the personal development classic gurus. And then I just started diving in and started journaling and started focusing on trying to improve myself. So I think that sort of happened at the same time, not because of the gentleman I reached out to, but I think it really was a good lesson for me that you try to keep an open mind and meet anybody you can because you never know what kind of door that'll open. Let's talk about the one you syndicated recently. I believe you told us it was an 86 unit. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you syndicate an 86 unit. Tell us about it. Okay. So I started to get turned on to the idea of syndicating. Oh, gosh, probably when I left my day job, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And I kind of fast forward a few years and, and I met a gentleman who ended up being my co-GP on the deal. But I ended up linking up with Rod Cleef, was on his podcast and, and met a bunch of folks through his mastermind that were all syndicating deals. And I said, oh my gosh, I can do this. This is easy. It was like one little missing piece of information in my mind that I had to get comfortable with. So came back from this first mastermind meeting. I called this guy, Mark, that I had beginning to be friends with that we, we were trying to figure out how we would work together or syndicate a deal together. And I said, hey, we're ready. Let's do this. And we got our ducks in a row, talked to our syndication attorney, but didn't have a deal. And summer came along and a real estate broker friend of mine had called me and said, hey, we have a, an in on an 86 unit deal. It's going to hit the national brokers pretty soon, but you have first look at it. So went in, loved the property, thought it would fit, be a great deal that we could go out and raise money for. And this was like my first raise. I mean, I've done one-on-one -on -one joint ventures in the past, but something where I have to go out and actually sell shares of an LP, that was the first time. So we had offered 4.5 million. The appraisal did not come in exactly where we wanted it. So we were able to negotiate $350,000 off the sales price. Did it come in 350 below 4.5? Yeah, it came in a little higher than what we negotiated down. So it did work out in our favor, <laughs> but we got it for 4.15, sort of a very much a modern build. It was built in the 1980s, but had been updated. The previous owners took really good care of it. Why, Cap rates were they selling? They got divorced a few years back. So they had amassed quite a bit of property during their marriage, but they got divorced, moved on with their lives, but they still had this real estate business that they were trying to run together. And as you can imagine, that's probably a big challenge, <laughs> like you know, having your, your ex be your co-business owner. So they just started the process of liquidating their portfolio and figuring out how they split their lives apart, and especially on these things that they co-owned together for so long. So that was really the catalyst for them to try and start thinking about selling. And we got it under contract. It was kind of a normal time frame, but a little shorter, a little more regimented than I was used to. But we went out and raised the capital. I put some of my own money. The gentleman who co-sponsored the deal with me put some of his own skin in the game as well. And the raise was a heck of a lot easier than I thought it would be. What was the total raise? So we raised 1.5 million. Oh, wow. Congrats on that. Yeah, thank you. How much did you invest in it? So I originally committed 200 and I backed it down to 100 because we overraised. So we overfunded our, our raise. So I ended up pulling it back and I ended up only with 100 in the deal. 
And what was it, something that was challenging about the deal? It doesn't sound like the money raised, but maybe some other component of it that you didn't expect it to be so challenging. Well, I will say the money raise, it was hard because it was the first time I did it, but it wasn't as hard, just kind of a quick sidebar about it was that I had never done it. So it seemed really challenging from the outset, but once you do it and you have a deal that makes sense, there are investors looking for places to invest their money. And once I realized that it became easy, but one of the big challenges in the deal was there was a difficult seller, one of the spouses and we needed a, a slight extension just because it was with Freddie Mac and things, it's the government. And sometimes things are really quick and sometimes they're not. And who would have thought that I was asking for their firstborn by asking for a, an extension? And it was one of those scenarios where this individual banging her fist on the table and just high drama as it relates to that part of the negotiation of the deal. But I think it was mostly theatrics. I think that's just how this person had done business and that's what they're used to. Because at the closing table, we all hugged and she was very pleasant and everything was really easy. So looking back, it was like, that's just the way they do business. And, and it really wasn't that difficult. We offered up hard money and said, look, we're going to close this deal. We have everything funded. It's just really just coming down to the lender and, and we need a few more weeks. And really just try to sell them on the confidence in us that this deal is going to close. A couple more weeks isn't going to hurt anybody. And we're committed to this deal. And, and we put up a significant additional capital as hard money. So I think that we've just put our money where our mouth is and we were confident that it was going to close. And what fees do you take on that deal? So for the first deal, I did not take any acquisition fee. We did a normal split. Um, well, I say normal, we, we took an 80-20 split, but my company does the management. So I do benefit a little bit on the back end. And I work the asset management fee into the property management fee as well. So we sort of have a- You have your own property management company that's managing it? I do, yeah. So oh, wow. with all, all of our own units, we self-manage. I think there's some efficiency- in having your own team. There's certainly a lot of challenges and that's a whole other topic in terms of having your own employees, but I think you can control the process a little bit better. You can control costs a little bit better. And so we certainly earn that management fee, but at the same time, local investors at least know who I am. They know of my company and there's some faith that it's someone with 18 years of industry experience that I've got my boots on the ground and, and I can make things happen. And I think that puts our investors' minds at ease knowing that somebody has their hands on the wheel and looking at things at all times. What's been a tough part of having a management company that you own and oversee? I think the hardest part is you sort of have that tendency to get involved in too much. If there's a tenant issue, a complaint or a concern, you're going to hear about it. And so you have to develop thick skin. You have to be a problem solver. If there's a maintenance headache, not that you're out there personally fixing it, but you have a team of guys or gals on payroll dealing with problems, fixing those maintenance problems, fixing things that break, turning over vacant units. And so I think the challenge is just keeping everything in order. And I've learned to hire those that are better than me, including office manager, business manager types that can keep everything on schedule and, and, and sort of deal with the customer service part of it, deal with some of the employee issues and things of that nature. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? I think the best advice would be to focus on your mindset and your personal growth. Most of real estate investing, it's transactional. That's easy. I think the hard part is being able to develop yourself into a better human being. What's the way that you like to act on that advice, tactically speaking? Sure. So one of the things I spend a lot of time, number one, listening to podcasts like yours. So that keeps you up with industry content, keeps you up with the mindset of fellow investors. I'm always reading, whether it's business books, personal development books, 
And then journaling, setting goals, reviewing and refining those goals as an ongoing process, just writing, just jotting down ideas, jotting down thoughts. If a quote strikes me in something that I read, writing it down and kind of reflecting on it. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And it's hard to take 30 minutes a day, say, to do that. For me, at least, go where that inspiration hits you. If it's Sunday morning and you're having a cup of coffee, two hours to read or or journal, do it then. But I think it's important to take time at least every week to focus on making yourself a better person. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I sure am. All right. Well, then let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Best ever book you've recently read? Old Charlie's Almanac. What's the worst deal you've done? Worst deal I've done was buying a car wash and laundromat. Please elaborate. (laughs) I thought it'd be a great idea to have a laundromat because I had laundry machines in my buildings and said, wow, this is easy. It's passive income. There's nothing passive about owning a laundromat. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was a time suck away from things. It was basically running a business on top of running another business. So I was able to sell that to somebody and hold back the financing on my end. And somebody who had the time and energy and drive to be a, a small business owner as opposed it wasn't something for an investor. What aspect did you think would be passive that was the exact opposite of passive with the laundry mat and car wash? I thought wrongly with our apartment buildings, you have laundry machines and whether it's a third party service that manages it, which is how we do it now. But back in the day, I used to go and collect all my own quarters and thought, well, this is really easy. That's easy money. But I didn't think through, now this is going back seven years or so after we, I quit my job and bought the laundromat. I didn't really think through what it would take in terms of hiring and firing employees, just watching inventory, lining up with folks to fix broken machines when they break down, all of that type of stuff. I just didn't think it through and just really totally underestimated the amount of work it would take to run such an operation. I probably would too. Coming from my apartment investing experience, I'd be like, oh, laundromat. We'll just collect coins and that will be that. But yeah, getting yourself into a big old operation. What's a deal that you've lost money on? Well, number one, laundromat was one. (laughs) How much you lose? Well, it was just a slow bleed. I would say that there's two components to it. I would say that I probably lost $10,000 a year in actual capital that I had to invest in that to make it work because I just didn't have the time to actively manage it. But also all the time that I did spend doing that was taking away from what I could have been doing in terms of personal development, sourcing other real estate deals, focusing on the things that do drive revenue and then drive profitability to a company. Best ever deal you've done? The best ever deal was that big 56 unit deal. And I'd say it's the best because it took me from just buying onesie twosies to that was the first million dollar deal. And I think that was the launching pad for every other deal that I've done since. Yep. Makes sense. What's the best way you like to give back to the community? Sure. Love to give back. My wife and I are involved with a number of philanthropic organizations locally. 
but in terms of actual time and energy, I love to give back to helping out younger investors that maybe were on a similar path that I was on when I started and just need some guidance. I think I was very fortunate to have some really solid mentors along the way. Uh, nothing is more satisfying than being able to mentor somebody else coming up in the business and helping them along on their journey. And how can the best ever listeners reach you? Sure. I'm going to put my phone number in the show notes. They can reach out via email, text. They can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn as well. Jason, thanks for being on the show, talking about the evolution of your business, the first deal, and then the tipping point that really catapulted you to where you're at now. And that is responding to the newspaper ad and developing a connection with the gentleman who ended up mentoring you some, and then also selling you another 72 units that he had in his portfolio which takes you to a whole different level. And then the recent syndication, your approach with that, the management company that you have created and some challenges along the way there and how you overcame them and to stay away from laundromats and car washes. <laughs> Unless you're a really bored person, then sounds like that would be a very active job to keep you busy. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. You too, Joe. Have a great day. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.